Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. Today, I am excited to have Susie Roberts, the Nutrition Services Director for Community Health Partners with us. Susie, thank you for taking the time today. You're very welcome, Johanna. I thought of having Susie on because we've known each other a very long time, and we're actually from the same hometown, which I think is a fun fact that I need to share, Mm -hmm. um, because we're from a very small town in Northeast Iowa, Lansing, if anyone from Lansing is listening, hello. Uh, But Susie has a lot of expertise in the field of nutrition and also, she's worked in worksite wellness, and she's mm-hmm. done something similar to what I do for EFR, and so I thought she'd be the perfect guest to talk about eating habits, uh, dietetics, the effects of food on not just our physical well-being, but our emotional well-being. So Susie, tell us a little bit about Community Health Partners and more specifically what you do for them. Okay. Thank you, Johanna. And I'm very excited to be doing this podcast with you. Um, I am a fairly new registered dietitian. I went back to school and graduated with a uh, degree in dietetics in 2016. And uh, After that, I worked for three months in a uh, clinical setting, and then I connected with uh, Trina Sukan, one of the owners of Community Health Partners, and uh, she she suggested to me that she wanted to have a strong nutrition um, and evidence-based type of material in the programs that we do at Community Health Partners. And I said, you definitely need to have a dietitian. And so I was very excited to take on that role. So in my role as the Director of Nutrition at Community Health Partners, um, I do things like consult with people one-on-one for diabetes, Uh, for post-surgery type of care. Um, If someone is wanting to lose weight, I can work with them through uh, their uh, course of um, action. We also have physical therapy and nurse navigation services, and we're located in the YMCA's in the Des Moines area. Well, as a member of the YMCA's of Des Moines, I have seen a lot of your employees out and about working, so that's great. Um, Before we get started, I wanna just kind of talk about scope of practice for a bit because as someone who earned a degree in health promotion, people Mm -hmm. often think that I'm going to be a nutrition expert or that I can tell them what they should be eating or what supplements are good for them. And I always say, oh no, 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 that's not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can kind of tell you some general, 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 I can tell you, I can tell you certain things that are going to be uh, good for you, but talk about scope of practice and the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. Well, I appreciate having the opportunity to bring some clarity to that, Johanna. Uh, To become a registered dietitian nutritionist, um, we have three requirements that we must meet. The first is to successfully complete a Bachelor of Science in Dietetics. And then from there, we must complete at least a 1,200-hour approved dietetic internship. And then we need to take and pass a national exam. So that's very involved. The degree is heavily science-based. 
I had to get through organic chemistry, biochemistry. We learned a lot about metabolism. Uh, we also learned how to do research to find out if uh, various supplements or diet programs, if they're science-based or might be considered more of a fad type of uh, sure. program. Um, versus someone who might put a shingle out saying that they're a nutritionist. Uh, an individual can call themselves a nutritionist if they um, possibly do things like going online and completing some, court, some sort of a certificate course program. Um, and that might be enough to call themselves a nutritionist, where kind of like what you alluded to, they learn the general or very basics of nutrition. Okay. But to really um, guide someone in a, a more uh, safe and more scientifically oriented um, pathway down their nutrition needs, a registered dietitian nutritionist would be more applicable. All right. Well, thank you for that clarification. I think that does confuse a lot of people. So let's talk about food choices because that's something that we are all faced with on a daily basis. Uh, we make a number of food choices each day, and mm -hmm. those food choices affect so many aspects of our personal well-being. So talk to me a little bit about the number of food choices that you think people are making or that research shows mm -hmm. that we're making each day and kind of the power behind those choices. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting uh, body of science and study there. Um, there's been some research that says that we make over 200 decisions each and every day related to everything that we eat and drink. And so when you think about that, um, and you think about how many times you eat or drink something throughout the day, that's a lot of uh, choices to make mm -hmm. for the common person. And when we think also about all the external stimuli that we're faced with every day, um, there, if you're watching the news or uh, reading a magazine, um, there are commercials that are um, always showcasing um, a lot of social interaction. People are out um, uh, having dinner, they're drinking, they're celebrating. We do a lot in our society that actually evolves around food. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just an awful lot of choices that people do make day in and day out. Yeah. And I think people often relate, you know, food choices and what they're eating to how they feel physically or to certain diagnoses like diabetes. I mean, you mm -hmm. mentioned that you do a lot of uh, consulting with, you know, your diabetic patients. And so, you know, thinking more broadly than just the physical aspect mm -hmm. of well-being, you know, how do our food choices affect our emotional well-being, our mm -hmm. financial well-being, um, our social well-being. So at EFR, you know, we are leaders and experts in the field of emotional health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And so kind of taking it from that perspective, how do you think our food choices affect our emotional well-being? I think they have a huge influence. And um, I had just done a little bit of research about there are, there's essentially two types of needs. There's physical needs where what we eat and drink can be considered fuel. Mm -hmm. So it's powering us to get throughout the day, giving our brain energy so that we can think and do the work that we need to and um, you know get through our days. And then there's the emotional hunger that people may have, where sometimes uh, if there is an emotional need that is 
not getting met in some other way, um, sometimes people turn to food to fill that void. Sure. And I um, am very experienced with EFR in a, a previous uh, career uh, that I had, and I know that employee, family, and resources can have um, a huge uh, benefit to people to providing resources to get help for dealing with some of those mm-hmm. emotional types of needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that emotional eating is something that, I mean, everyone, you know, you don't have to have an eating disorder to struggle with emotional eating. No. And so, just briefly, common eating disorders, what what are they mm-hmm. from a clinical perspective? Okay. So from a clinical perspective, there's um, anorexia nervosa, um, where someone uh, very strongly uh, restricts their food intake. Uh, they might even be possibly down in the 400 calories a day, where an, a typical person might need anywhere between 1,600 to 2,200 calories a day. Um, so in anorexia, that person is severely limiting that food intake. Um, and then there's uh, bulimia, which is where people may um, uh, do some binging and then purging as well. So there's that type of a, a behavior going on. Um, there's also another condition called um, ednos, eating disordered, not otherwise specified. And this is where there might be just various types of behaviors that are food related, um, such as I, um, I binge on a certain type of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe someone has something like a, a popcorn where, where they will eat the whole batch or a whole uh, bag of um, potato chips or something like that. It can mean or be a sign that there's some kind of a need that that person might have in their personal life that they're trying to fill by having that sense of fullness okay. in their stomach. So that would be related to emotional yes. wellness. Is that I've heard, so eating disorders such as bulimia and anorexia, I think a lot of people are familiar with them. And then, I don't know if this term is currently used, but disordered eating. Yes. Is that basically what you just referenced? Yes, okay. absolutely. And I think with regard to disordered eating, and I came across this a lot in a, a prior job when I was doing a lot of one-on-one consulting with people who wanted fitness plans, And this is kind of where people were starting to go down the path of, well, thank you for helping me with my exercise routine, which I was qualified and certified to do. Mm -hmm. But now can you tell me how many calories I should be getting a day and where they should be coming from and, you know, what my um, percentage of macronutrients should be. And so uh, I picked up on a lot of what I would consider disordered eating, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly in, and they weren't restricting necessarily to the point where an anorexic might restrict, Mm -hmm. you know, four or 500 calories a day, but restricting and eliminating food groups, um, not being, you know, willing to eat after a certain time of day. Would all of those kind of fall into the disordered eating category? They definitely would, Johanna. Um, some other symptoms along those lines include frequent dieting or having anxiety associated with a specific food group, like you just mentioned, such as dairy, for example. Um, or they might have rigid rituals that totally center around I. I'm not going to do this, or I am going to only do this. And there's definitely what I have seen too in my practice at Community Health Partners, um, even um, which has been kind of surprising to me, even individuals 
and it's usually females who are in their 70s, maybe even early 80s, they seem to have a poor body image, um, where even at that age and stage in life, it's a big concern. It's a big deal. And, um, you know, there's one thing that I've learned um, in my life, and I learned this from the dietetics program, is that um, there's an age and stage for everything. And a big part of who we are and the way we are and the way we look and how much uh, nutrition or energy we need each day is based on our biology. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm sitting here with you today. You're at a different age and stage in life than I am. I'm a little bit older than Johanna. Um, I'm in that age where menopause is something that I'm facing. And there are certain things that come with menopause that biologically... I'm, I can't beat. Um, right. We cannot beat that biology of just being human. Right. Well, I will get there eventually. So thank you. <laughs> eventually, <that> yes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned dieting, and I think it's important just to kind of talk about diets in general. I used mm-hmm. to say, uh, you know, diet, well, diet, a four letter word, right? I don't like the concept of a diet personally. Uh, I think that they seem to be kind of the fads that come and go. So what kind of information can you share about diets or dieting that might be interesting to our listeners? I appreciate you you bringing that question up here. Um, It makes me think of a cartoon that I remember when I went to college for the first time back in the 80s. But back in the 80s, I was a big fan of Garfield. You know, the cat, Garfield? Oh, yes, I'm familiar. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Well, I still remember the cartoon that Garfield had where with that look on his face, it it had the word diet, and he said, die with a T on the (laughs) end. And really, when it comes to the word diet, it's it's not a word that um, I myself as a dietitian use frequently, if at all. And even in the field of dietetics, we are moving away from where it's um, just, it's looked at where we do a lot of prescribing. You need to have so many calories a day. Yes, there are certain things that we all need um, for proper fueling of our body or, or proper wound repair after a surgery. Um, or if a person is malnutri- malnourished, yes, they do need to have um, you know, nutrients. But um, at the end of the day, we do need to realize that um, the more we fixate on numbers or calories or restricting or really keeping ourselves within a very certain narrow of this is what I can eat, I can't eat that, um, it can really make people become so focused on Uh, that micro aspect of their health Mm -hmm. that it can be very unhealthy. And then they can start overlooking other aspects of their health like sleep and relationships and financial well-being that are equally important but they're so fixated on that one aspect yeah that it it creates a big problem. You're you're absolutely right and one of the things that you hit on there was the financial aspect and so one of the things that's kind of a pet peeve of mine if I can go there is that um, something that I'm really that really drives me crazy is all the uh, the weight loss supplements out there and um, all the ads and the marketing about that and I did just a little bit of research um, in preparation for this podcast but in 2018 alone people spent 70.3 billion dollars 
and that is B for billion on weight loss. And at the very top of that list was um, the commercial chains and meal replacements. They were uh, like the largest portion of the cost of that. And so when you think about that, um, we think about uh, Nutrisystem or SlimFast or any of those other types of programs. Um, I've, I recently can give you another. I can give you another example here. Um, I recently have been talking with a person. Um, she's in her late 60s, and uh, she's um, very, very proud of herself. She's lost about 50 pounds, and the reason for that is a certain supplement that's out there on the marketplace. Um, so she's been on that for about a year. At the same time, here she's also been having severe stomach pain and issues uh, in her abdomen and so she'd started to go see the doctor for those mm -hmm. and um, all of a sudden here now she's experiencing constipation um, and other GI type of issues and it has gotten to the point where she may even need to have intestine surgery oh because of um, uh, various supplements that she oh, wow. has been taking. So some things are too good to be true. They are you know, totally too good to be true. Immediate results, but I always think, is it sustainable? Mm -hmm. And is this a lifelong plan? Mm -hmm. You know, can you eat this way for the rest of your life? Can you afford these supplements for the rest of yes. your life? Are these supplements doing you more harm than good? And I think people who are looking to lose weight kind of get so, I don't want to use the word desperate, but I'm going to use it, mm -hmm. desperate to find the magic pill, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, that they're, they don't probably always do the research that's necessary or connect with a dietitian or even a physician in advance to talk through their options. Yeah, I so. definitely see that as well. As, and that can cause what we call yo-yo dieting. Sure. And sometimes people have been doing that for 10, 20, yeah. 30 years. And I can't imagine that's good on your organs and your metabolism. Certainly, you'd have to go through a lot of different clothes. I mean, you know, when you think about it, yeah. there, there's just so many more dimensions of wellness that are impacted than, than your physical health. Uh, is there any kind of fad or trend or diet, if we're going to use that word in this, um, in this instance, that you're over? that you just kind of wish would go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the, the diets that I get asked the most about is the ketogenic diet. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that is, um, for, for those that may not be familiar with that, that is an extremely low carbohydrate eating plan. And when we think about macronutrients, there are three kinds. There's carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And we need a a good proportion of all three for optimal health. Well, with the ketogenic diet, people literally go down to um, approximately 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. And to put that into perspective, you can think of one piece of toast or one piece of mm -hmm. bread that has approximately 15 grams of oh, wow. carbohydrates. So that means no fruits, minimal vegetables, uh, no rice, no oatmeal, no cereal, um, no pasta. So they're lacking a lot of fiber in their diet when they do that. Absolutely. Fibers, uh, other B vitamins, and other nutrients. So the person is really essentially eliminating almost an entire food group. Yeah. I've noticed on social media, especially on Instagram, if you follow or you come across any 
female bodybuilders mm-hmm. uh, or the women that are doing, I guess, you know, the bodybuilding competitions, a lot of them are talking about their keto diets yes. and just kind of the extreme measures that they go to to get, you know, pageant day ready. And it's it's interesting. It's, you know, I don't think I would feel very good physically or emotionally if I were so restrictive. And I mean, not to judge what they're doing mm-hmm. um, because it's something that, a choice they've made and they're passionate about, mm-hmm. but I just, I wonder like how good that can really be for you. Yeah. Um, so another, a couple things I wanted to bring up that I hear a lot about, not necessarily in the professional sense, but just in my friend groups, uh, intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and intolerance testing. So let's start with intermittent fasting okay. and kind of, can you just give us a snapshot of what that is and if you have an opinion mm-hmm. that you'd like to share on it? Cause sure. I know several people who are taking this approach for weight loss. Mm -hmm. Well, intermittent fasting does have um, a little, does have a fair amount of research behind it, even though it's a fairly new uh, concept out in the the marketplace now. Um, Essentially what it means is that people allow, again, kind of in a way it's restrictive because people are allowing themselves a certain window of time during the day that they will allow themselves to eat. It might be only eight hours a day. It might be 12 hours a day. Um, It might be where they skip eating anything for one day at a time or one day a week. Um, So there are varying uh, practices or models that people may ascribe Uh to in intermittent fasting. Um, Now, there is some research that um, does uh, point towards that this could be beneficial for for weight loss. Um, I, again, as a registered dietitian, I'm all about uh, meeting a person where they're at and helping them to figure out um, what will work for them in their life. Sure. That's sustainable. That is sustainable. That and that fits. We with go their back lifestyle. to that. Yeah. Yes, we go back to that a, a lot here. I think Johanna, um, with what can we do on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know, jumping back just briefly to the ketogenic diet. Uh, yes, people will often lose weight while they're following that prescribed mm-hmm. pattern of mm-hmm. eating very, very few carbohydrates. Um, and in the meantime, that means they're having a huge amount of protein, a huge amount of fats, too. Um, that can cause issues or problems on the kidneys, um, the gallbladder, all sorts of other types mm-hmm. of systems in our body. And we have to go back to, is that something that a person can continue or maintain right. long time? What about the intolerance testing? I know the gluten-free has been trending for several years now. Yes. Uh, but just in general, I've been seeing a lot of advertisements for this and I've been hearing people, you know, I've, I, you know, was tested and I came back and I actually, you know, I didn't know this my whole life. I've been mm-hmm. eating, insert food group or dairy, right. and then I'll, I can't eat that anymore. So do you have any kind of opinion on intolerance testing when it might be necessary or you know, what people should think about before they actually go that route. Yeah. Well, I think there's definitely a place and stage for it. Um, if people are not able to keep weight on, if they're kind of having a, a continual weight loss, that could be a definite sign that something is not mm-hmm. right. Um, if they're having um, uh, intestinal or GI type of issues, definitely we always recommend that they go through their doctor and go that route. 
Um, so to answer your question about the popularity of it, um, again, trying to meet people where they're at, um, I would recommend that people um, weigh pros and cons and do their research. Um, I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked to that say, oh, I'm gluten-free, and I'll ask, oh, do you have celiac disease? No, I don't, but I, I think that gluten-free will help me to lose weight. You know, I'm here to tell you that gluten, going gluten-free is not a recommended weight loss program. Right. Again, it goes back to that, um, you know, missing out on important nutrients, uh -huh. minerals, fiber, et cetera. And again, is it something that you can maintain? Yeah. And when you think about it, like anytime, this is my understanding, anytime something's been removed from a, a food product, because there are things that are naturally gluten-free that are really healthy for yes. you. Yes. Like fruits and vegetables. Yes. But when you start going down the grocery aisles and you get to the health food section or the special diet section and you see the things that are labeled gluten-free, I think a lot of people think, gluten-free, it must be healthy. Yes. Or organic, it must be healthy. No, no, you know, organic junk food is still junk food, right? Yeah, um, so yeah. any this is my understanding is that anytime something's been removed, something else has to be added, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when it comes to like shelf-stable products. Yes. And so, I, yeah, I think a lot of people just assume that gluten is bad for everyone and right. that they need to stay away from it. And right. I think what you're saying is also what I think is really important is do your research, you know, uh, n understand, you know, what your options are before you make a drastic lifestyle change. Because you also yes. have to think about it. If you're someone who's living in a household and let's say you have a partner and children, you know, if you're going to go gluten-free or dairy-free, does that mean your whole family does? Or, you know, how does this impact your food budget? How does this impact, uh, you know, cooking as a family? And so yes. uh, I think people sometimes lose sight of those things when they're making drastic lifestyle changes related to their to their eating. And like you said, if you have celiac disease, certainly you have to make yes. those changes. And I would imagine that most people in your family would be supportive of that and make those changes naturally with you. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think a lot of times those details are overlooked and yes. they can cause stress and strain in, in families and on relationships. Um, any tips for eating healthier on a budget? I've, I've once uh, come across some information from, it was actually from a financial advisor, that your food costs are the costs that you have the most kind of leverage with. So if you're trying to look for ways to save money, mm -hmm. food and groceries is where you go. Mm -hmm. And do you have any tips for eating healthier on a budget? Um, yes, I sure do. Um, I would recommend that if um, people are wanting to have a, a very reputable web website, um, I would recommend Iowa State University Extension. Okay. They have um, a service called Eat Smart, Spend Smart, oh. and it is really awesome. Um, maybe we could put the link in the yeah. show notes with this. But they Eat have Smart, Spend Smart. Eat Smart, Spend Smart. And it has uh, links for things like um, how to uh, grocery shop on a budget, how to do a meal plan. They have, for example, three months of meals all laid out, and then there are hyperlinks in some of the, the uh, food entrees sure. so that you can have the recipe nice. and um, see what you have on hand, what you might need to purchase. Uh, so that's really a nice little handy tool there um, as well. It also has the nutrition information linked in with those recipes okay. that they've helped um, to map out. So again, that can be very 
um, useful for people who maybe need to have uh, less sodium uh-huh. or they need to watch their carbohydrates because they have diabetes. Um, but to, again, add a circle back here to um, tips for shopping um, for groceries um, in a budget-friendly way, one of the things I would recommend is when you pick up your food item, just turn o- turn it over and look at the back because the front of the package is really a marketing tool mm-hmm. for the manufacturer. Um, and you know, Johanna, in one of the presentations that I do for your clients, yes. we talk about reading labels. Yes. And um, so that front side is really, you can think of it as a commercial for that uh-huh. food because that's where uh, they'll put uh, gluten-free, organic, um, US, USDA approved, uh, heart healthy, cholesterol right. healthy, you know, all these types of uh, um, uh, signs and messages for you as the consumer to think. They'll also put on pictures of vegetables on things like macaroni and cheese box. They'll put yes. vegetables on it, you know, and again. And we know vegetables don't come in macaroni. Right, yeah. exactly, unless you put them in there, <laughs> yes. which you can. Um, but to look at the back and. That's a good tip. Yeah, and what you're wanting to do is look for things that are lower in sodium, because when we look at um, foods that are packaged or they're like uh, easy prep or that kind of thing, they might have a bunch of added um, preservatives Mm -hmm. or they might be very high in sodium. Um, So again, just to try and be a little bit more aware about what's actually in the product that Mm -hmm. you're buying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially if that list of ingredients gets really long and you can't pronounce most of the words Mm -hmm. or they're, and this is a Michael Pollan tip, you know, Mm -hmm. if an ingredient is something that you can't pronounce or something that you wouldn't keep in your pantry, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, should you be eating that food Mm -hmm. product? Mm -hmm. And so, no, those are, those are great tips. You mentioned that you do trainings for EFR and I just kind of want to talk for a moment about the partnership. So about two years ago now, I connected with Susie and we brought her on board to deliver some of our nutrition-based trainings for employee and family resources. So EFR has a wellness benefit that uh, goes along with its EAP and so Susie delivers trainings that I think have gotten really good feedback and have been very popular and so thank you for your time and expertise with those. Uh, But if you want to learn more about EFR's benefits, like I said, you can go to EFR.org. Can you give us a little information about community health partners as far as how someone could connect with you or what they might want to connect with you uh, regarding uh, since hopefully they've listened to this podcast and now they're thinking, I would like to meet her and Mm -hmm. I want to see how community health partners can help me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So we have a website um, called my-chp.com. People are welcome to go there Um, or um, you could uh, check us out at any of the Central Iowa YMCAs. Um, We do uh, provide physical and aquatic therapy services, uh, nurse navigation. We also have uh, uh, medical-based programs such as heart healthy education, um, yoga, um, Aichi, and um, we have uh, all sorts of, uh, we have a cancer-related program. And our goal is to help people do Um, We want to help them along their health improvement or health maintenance journey in a very safe and um, as nutritionally sound as possible manner. Excellent. It sounds like great work. It sounds like great work. Well, my last question is one that's just more personal in nature. And what makes you emotionally well? 
if you would like to share something that you do in your sure, life. Sure, sure. Um, emotional wellness, it's, as you know, Johanna, it's a very individual and personal thing. And one of the things that I've learned over time is that um, I can't do everything alone. Um, I need to have uh, my friends. I need to have the support of my uh, spouse, my family. And you know, if I'm feeling um, a little bit down or feeling anxious, um, I like to step back, um, take a deep breath, and maybe make a phone call to a friend or um, walk around the block. I, I just know now, again, being a little bit older and wiser, that um, emotional health is just as important as being uh, physically health, which, you know, in my 20s, I was all about working out all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now I know that that's a part of my personal health and well-being. But, um, you know, taking deep breaths and trying to get better sleep. And I think just connecting with people are really things yeah. that I like to do to uh, take care of myself. Yeah. Well, kind of like the training you facilitate for us called Little Changes Add Up. Yes. Which is not about what you just kind of mm -hmm. pitched for your own personal mm -hmm. well-being, but it's the little things actually make the yes. biggest difference. So getting those short walks, taking a deep breath, calling a friend, all yeah. of those things are just as important as how often you're making it to the gym mm -hmm. and how many fruits and vegetables you're eating. So thank you for Absolutely. that. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners, as Susie was talking about eating disorders and disordered eating, I just thought it would be a good way to also kind of bridge the connection to EFR services. So if you are um, someone who is struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating, please uh, don't hesitate to um, reach out to EFR. Again, our website is EFR.org, or you can give us a call, 800-327-4692. Thank you so much for your time today, Susie. It was a pleasure having you on. And Thank you, Johanna. I definitely learned a few new things myself. So thank you very much. Very good. Thank you.